Welcome back to the Play Big Podcast, where we're having conversations with people that are playing big in life, in business, and in money. And today I have a very distinct honor of sitting down with Ray Higdon. Ray, it's an honor to have you into our studio here in Alpharetta, Georgia. Thanks for having me. Yes. So we'll start off with who is Ray Higdon? Well, I am originally from Indiana, and I currently live in Naples, Florida, and been involved in the network marketing space now for 14 years. Before I was a coach or trainer, I was the number one earner of a company. And a year ago, what really defines Ray now is uh, a year ago, I came to Christ. That's and awesome. I've mixed that into like a marketplace ministry. So I teach, I teach faith, I teach network marketers faith-based mindset and leadership principles that work. That's awesome. How old were you when you moved from Indiana down to Naples, Florida? Or did you bounce around in between there? Yeah, I think I was like 12 or something. My parents split when I was very young. And in my dad's house, it was a it was a very abusive home. And so at the age of 12, I had not the opportunity to leave, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went to Florida. And have you been in different places in Florida or always Naples, Florida? I I went to high school in Cape Coral, Florida, which is right in that area, mm -hmm. southwest Florida. So I've lived in Cape Coral, Estero, Fort Myers, and Naples. Awesome. And network marketing industry, for people that don't know network marketing or what network marketing is, a lot of people have heard of it, but sure. what, what is network marketing to you in your experience? So to me, because I, I, you know, I've done a lot of different businesses. I had an advertising franchise, um, did real estate, did real estate investing, had a title company. To me, network marketing is the lowest risk, lowest overhead way for the average ordinary person to start a business. Mm. And so a lot of people that never would have started a traditional business can be a business owner by starting a network marketing. And they compensate you based on who you introduce to the company or the product or service. And it was, it was good to me. After I lost it all in real estate, I was uh, devastated and just knocked out a million dollars in debt, divorced, depressed. And I got serious about a network marketing company and and bounce back, and that's when I became the number one earner of that company. Wow, that's <laughs> that was a lot. That's quite a that's quite a <laughs> quite a journey. Uh, what came first, the advertising? You got into advertising. You owned an advertising franchise. What what got you into advertising? What were you doing that you said, ah, advertising is my is where I'm going to go go to? Where where were you doing before that? Yeah, so April of 2004, I read my first book on anything entrepreneur-like. Mm. And and so I read that first book. A year later, I left. That was the last job I ever had, so 18 years yeah. ago. And I jumped into real estate. So me and a partner were buying rental properties in mainly Fort Myers, Florida. And so we amassed 37 rental units, single oh. family, triplexes, duplexes, things like that. And just everywhere we went, like we would run into incompetence. <laughs> and so 37 units, I'd gone through nine mortgage brokers. So I'm like, man, these guys are terrible. So I, I got my mortgage license, wow. did mortgages for a while. I was doing a lot of advertising. And one of the places that I did advertising was this with this advertising franchise. And so uh, me and my partner ended up buying that, that franchise, which, you know, it didn't work out because we bought it right before the market crash. <laughs> and so that was, you know, 40 grand kissed yeah. goodbye. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's been a wild ride for sure. When you got into real estate, cause I think a lot of people get attracted to real estate sure. or they see people having success stories of, of real estate, or it's always one of those asset classes that people mm -hmm. are like, Oh, if I could figure out how, how to do that. What did you learn about real estate? The good points and bad points of real estate starting out and then what you learned later. And more importantly, what did you learn about yourself during that, the good times and bad times of just the real estate portion? Yeah. I mean, there's there's just a lot of money in real estate. And if done right, you can you can do really well. And I think the lesson looking back is we had gotten some great deals according to the cash flow. When the market crashed and construction jobs went away, things that were renting for 800, 850 bucks a month, all of a sudden you couldn't rent them for 450, 500. Wow. And so now you multiply that out and you're losing Probably, money. Yeah. And, but if I look back, if, if we didn't become so alarmed at that and we were able to maybe shift gears and make money in other things and actually hold on to them, it would have been very, very worth it. And so I think holding on to, I, I think doing something in real estate just makes a lot of sense, right. whether you're part of a, like a syndicate deals. I have, we 
I deal in. Now I'm, I'm back to being in some parts of real estate, like multifamily units and mm-hmm. raising capital and things like that. Um, but there's, you know, there's always going to be a need for real estate. That's a fact. There's a lot of money in real estate. And um, if you can, you know, manage it like a business and not be emotional about it, then, you know, you can do really good. When uh, going from reading a book about being an entrepreneur, uh, choosing real estate, but then, you know, seeing a problem with a mortgage business, being entrepreneurial minded, yeah. you're like, oh, I can go solve that problem too. Then advertise that I can go solve that that problem too. Going from reading a book about entrepreneurship to going full bore into it in, in that particular market, what did, what did you learn about entrepreneurship that you're like, oh, I like this, or this isn't all it's cracked up to be, or wh- what was that was that process like for you? Well, I mean, I had, I was at the time, you know, I was working at an insurance company in the IT department and, you know, making decent money. I didn't finish high school on time, never finished college, so... You know, 80 grand a year was pretty good. Right. And, um, but I, I, you couldn't, there was no, hey, do this to make an unlimited amount. Right. <laughs> like there was no freedom. And that's something I, I talk a lot about in our, in our book, but, you know, there was no freedom there. And I, and I, I realized that I no longer liked what I did. And, and I just, I had a lesson that I learned when I was like 18 or 19 that, I had vowed that if I'm ever in something I don't like and don't want to do, I'm getting out of it no matter mm-hmm. what. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the story. So I was working. I had, throughout high school, I, I hung out with a pretty rough crowd and sold drugs, did drugs. And to when I decided to get away from that, I just basically, you know, just became a workaholic. And mm-hmm. I was just took a bunch of jobs. And one of them was working at Winn-Dixie, the grocery, mm-hmm. the, it's a grocery store, and I was working the graveyard shift, right? And I remember this this guy was there, and he was the manager, and he was at the time I think it was like 32 maybe something like that, and I I'm I'm hungry I'm looking for advice <laughs> and so I go to him and I said Hey man you you've been here a while he goes Yeah 12 years I'm like Oh man you you must you must love it he goes Oh I hate it I'm like Hmm and I'm I'm 18 maybe. And uh, that was strange. Like, he's been here 12 years, but he hates it. And he goes, but at this point, I probably can't leave and make the same amount, so I'm just going to stick it out. Wow. And I'm like, that will never be me. And so that just sunk in. Any time I've ever been in a career and I started to do it just for the money mm-hmm. or I didn't like it anymore, I'm like, I, I got to get out of this thing. And so what's interesting is probably about maybe six years ago, the local newspaper highlighted my wife and I. And uh, that's when my mom actually believed that I'd finally made it. Like I'd, <laughs> right. I'd been on all kinds of stages. Now you've been all validated. The it's in, in the fine print. Yes. Now, now it's legit. Right. Not just me talking. Yes, right? right. And uh, so this guy reaches out to me after seeing the the newspaper article, and he says, "Hey, man, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I was your manager at Winn Dixie." Wow. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember you." Yeah. And one day, I'm kind of self conscious. Like my life. Has he has he heard me talk about him? Because right. I I have. Yeah. I've, I've like named him because I didn't think I'd ever <laughs> see him again. And, and I said, so how are things going? He goes, oh, I'm at Winn-Dixie, and it you know, sucks just as much. And I'm like, dang. Wow. Like, like this is th- we're talking 30 years yeah. he had been there. That's and, crazy. And, he, and that's how a lot of people live. And there's actually a, a proverb that says, the hand of the diligent shall rule, hmm. while the lazy are put to forced labor. Wow. And here he is. He doesn't think he can do any better. Right. He's actually in forced labor. Right. And, and it's just an intellectual laziness, and, and, and it's a, a laziness of faith. Hmm. Because if you're if you're afraid that you can't do better, it means you don't have faith in God. Right. You don't have faith that there could there's something that could possibly be better. Right. That commitment that you made to yourself at 18, 19 years old. How how have you kept yourself true to to that commitment? Because oftentimes you would know there's people make a commitment to themselves that sure. I'm going to do this. But I'm interested in, in in you personally. When you make a commitment to yourself, what what is it about you, or what is it that you were honoring about yourself that when Ray says I'm going to do something, I stay committed to to it at a young age. It seems pretty early to make a life-altering decision and stay true and committed to that. Where, where does that come from for you back then? That may be different now, but how did you honor yourself that long? My whole life, there's been some interesting things that are just wired in me mm. and um, just a relentlessness of I'm either all in or I'm not interested at all. <laughs> and right. like, I've just always been that way. 
And like with real estate, I read that book uh, in April 2004. By June, I had duplexes. Mm. And I don't know what I'm doing. Makes no sense. And that commitment of as soon as I know this is not what I'm supposed to be doing or I don't like this or whatever, I I have stayed true to that. I'll give you an example. So I was, when when the real estate market crashed and like none of my real estate deals are working anymore, I went on the road. I had a speaking company that asked me, they're like, hey, man, you're good at speaking. You should go on the road. And so I'm on the road 22 days a month. Wow. Vegas, Chicago, Phoenix, Miami, L.A. And I'm selling a $7,000 system and a 90-minute pitch to a cold audience. Wow. So they don't know who I am. Right. I'm not branded or anything, but I got 90 minutes of selling this $7,000 thing. And I had, anytime I sold it, I would give out my business card because unlike a lot of the other speakers for that company, I was a real estate investor. Like mm-hmm. I actually did this actually stuff. Did it, I yes. didn't just talk about it. Talk about it. <laughs> and so I'd give my card out and and I'd been hearing that people who had bought weren't getting support. And like the company had had grown very quickly mm-hmm. and uh, these people that had trusted me to buy weren't getting support. And so I remember being in Phoenix and I'm talking to this lady and she's got to be I mean, she's like 75 or something. And I got this in the back of my head of people are buying, not getting support. And I remember thinking, I hope she doesn't buy. Wow. And then I'm like, what am I doing? And and some of these deals, my real estate has totally crashed. Mm -hmm. But some of these 90-minute speeches, I'd make 30 grand, right? right? Yeah. And that was my last one because I'm like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so I, I go back home to depression and foreclosure and divorce and lost everything but I just couldn't, I couldn't do that thing. Mm. It was, it was, you know, paying me well, but I, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Wow. And, and so looking back, I now realize that God just wired me in a very particular way. Mm. And I've never naturally been good at literally anything. Really? Never. Wow. Everything has, like, I sucked at speaking. I sucked at sales. I, I've, I've just sucked at everything I've ever started, but it made me a good teacher. Because he created this relentlessness in me of, I'm going to figure this thing out, which makes me a good teacher. Because I can take someone, I don't assume that they're good at anything. I can take someone and and make them world class because I can teach them what they need and what to watch out for. Was it in that process that you you learned that about yourself of being a good teacher? It's one thing to be able to do it yourself, of having this relentlessness, like being wired a certain way, God giving you a certain gift. Yeah you recognize in that gift or you just don't know any different that this is just it's either this or that it's very simple most people sit in the middle of not doing anything of hesitation yeah when did when did you learn that being a teacher was also something god had put inside of you i think it was just making observations of mm-hmm. others and i i remember one time in particular i was at this network marketing conference and this very talented speaker he's like such a good speaker. And he gets up on the stage and he says, I recruited the first 60 people I talked to, and this is what I said. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, right. people are freaking That's out right. with the magic script. And he didn't realize that it wasn't his magic script. It's that he was highly respected. So he just took a room that probably 80% of them are not highly respected right. and gave them a script that's literally going to have them quit the industry mm. because they're like, oh, it worked for him. It must be the script. So they go use the script. They're not going to get 60 yeses. Right. 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 Yes. And and so I think just observing other people and seeing, oh, they're teaching in a in a way that not everyone's not everyone's going to be able to do that. Right. And this is very indicative in today's standards because as soon as someone becomes an influencer, all of a sudden they're interviewed, they're teaching, they're on stage. And they are genuinely sharing what they did, but a lot of them, they don't recognize that natural talent, what they were gifted with versus the masses who may not be gifted that way. And so if you assume not gifted, (laughs) then you can teach them and the gifted can pick up from that too. So I think it was just observations of, of other teachers and seeing what I viewed as, not that I, not that I said this, but I saw it as, oh, that's a flawed way of teaching. Mm. Where, where did where did that compassion for other people come from? Because that's basically what you're just, it's almost a compassionate view of, mm-hmm. of, a, of, a, of a human well being. Where, where did that come from for you? Like that bothered you enough to want to yeah. teach or educate in a different way that went to the average 
person who doesn't have any skills is probably afraid of selling or marketing or doing anything or taking yes. a step towards himself. Where, where did the compassion come from? Yeah. Good, good insight. Um, I mean, I think that comes from my childhood of people, people around me knew that I was being abused and no one did anything about it. Mm. So I, I grew up with this, I'm not important kind of stigma. I'm not important. Um, I, I always felt like I had to prove myself. I just grew up with these certain wounds mm. that made me uh, just voracious, want to fight for the underdog. And, and part of that has probably harmed me in a way in that before I could recognize my strongholds and patterns, it may, it may have had me not be as good at networking with higher end individuals, right? There right. was a time where I, I, I know I just I just felt like I didn't belong with higher end individuals, but I I belonged with the masses right. to to help them, and and that's not healthy either. Mm -hmm. You need you know you need to be able to feel like you're in the room because God put you in the room, right. and and help whoever you're in front of. Right. And I was just reading this. It's First Corinthians nine, and it talks. Paul says, "When I'm in front of the weak, I am weak because I'm able to help all people." Mm. Right, so he adapts. He in Acts, you even see him change his story as he speaks to the Roman Council versus a different Jewish Council, right. and so it's you. You need to be able to adapt to to lift people up mm -hmm. wherever they are. Right, right, and so from being in the upper ends of of success, I know that what I was chasing was the wrong thing, mm. and it's okay to have money, have success, have significance, etc. But that's not fixing the issues that you're probably chasing that stuff for. Mm. And so now, since coming to Christ, I just, I just, that's a big thing for me is to talk to more people about that. Right. What do you, what do you feel like people are chasing? I'd say the average person or people in the world. What, what do you? They're chasing the wrong thing. What is it that they think that they're chasing versus what they're really chasing, or what their, what they, their spirit is probably really seeking for? Yeah. So. Whatever you needed most as a kid but didn't get are your sacred wounds. Mm. And you will try to fulfill those wounds in as many ways as you can, right? So because, and what did I need most as a kid but didn't get? Safety, friendship, love, attention, you name it. There's, there's a lot. Right. And so what we do is we, we try to find acceptance from... Instagram fame or or net worth or achievement or stages or whatever we try to fill these these holes through these other things and I I remember seeing a 60 minute interview with an NFL player and at the time this person had just won a third Super Bowl and the interviewer says man you you got to feel amazing right now I mean you know, three <laughs> Super Bowls that's incredible and he said most days I just think there's got to be something else wow and the interviewer says, well, what would that be? And he said, I wish I knew. Hmm. And that was Tom Brady. Hmm. Now, he since went on to win right. more Super Bowls. But I think that I, Tony Robbins says success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Hmm. And we chase these things, and I was chasing, right? And, and I think it's different for every person. And I think what you're chasing is different. But for me, I thought if I, if I have a million-dollar year, then I'm, that's when I'm going to feel better about right. myself. Did it million dollar month, million dollar day. I've built an Inc. Five Thousand company. None of those things made me feel any different about myself. Mm. And so at some point, you're like, hmm, maybe it's something else. Yeah. And and so I think you know a lot of people they're trying to fill those sacred wounds that they had. They're trying to prove their father wrong, or they're trying to get that attention that they they should have had as a kid, but but didn't. Right. And the better thing to realize is that. Whatever you've been through, it equipped you to help the person you used to be. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't trade my child abuse for anything. Wow. It's one of the greatest gifts that you know, that God put me through hmm. because it put me in rooms I otherwise couldn't be in. Like I go and speak at kids in foster care. I go and speak to troubled teenagers. And I remember this was about two years ago. I was walking up to speak to this group of troubled teenagers, and they see me come, and they're like, Mm -hmm. who's, who's this white boy? And uh, But about two stories in, they're like, okay, okay. all right. <laughs> this guy knows. And uh, I wouldn't trade that for the world, wow. man. Like it, to be able to, because people really resonate when they know that you get them, 
And and I love the fact that I get people that have been abused. Right. I get people that have been through trauma. Right. And and I I wouldn't trade that. Wow. Before you start realizing that real estate advertising mortgages, you said you were a million dollars in debt, or there's mm -hmm. a, a serious rough patch in your life. You already had a bad childhood. Went yep. out, started yeah. doing something, raising yourself up, and then falling back down. What yeah. what was you can take me to that moment of time? What was that like for you and and also what what is that doing to your self-worth because you already were i'm not good enough you already had these wounds that were yeah. that were here at the beginning you went and proved some people wrong you went and did something and then yeah. it unravels what happens to your self-worth at that time and what what is going on emotionally for you or mm. in your own psychology at at one of the a low low points in your time because i think a lot of people only see successful people. They sure. see, oh, this is easy. But when you hear the backstory, yeah, God is always doing something, sure, you know, around you and through you. But take me to that moment in time, because this is even pre you coming to to Jesus at this yeah. moment in time. What what was that like for you? Yeah. So you know, when I when I went full time as an entrepreneur in two thousand five, like everyone was like, "What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like you're that's crazy. You have a good job. Right. What are you going to do for benefits? <laughs> yeah. Like that was." You know, the big yes. question, right? And, hey, for two and a half years, I'm rocking it, and those suckers were wrong because <laughs> I was very full of myself. I was very arrogant. I was just a jerk. Prideful, yeah. And, but, like, three and a half years in, I'm broke, and and I felt like a friggin' loser, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just, I remember looking in the, I just, I hated, there were two periods of my life where I hated looking in the mirror. Wow. I just hated, I would avoid them. I was just like, I didn't, I didn't even want to look up. And... Just tried to drown my sorrows. Just drank a lot. I would get blackout drunk, like right right during the week. I was I had a couple credit cards left that hadn't figured things out yet. And <laughs> slow folks. <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was tough, man. I was depressed big time. And but there was there was something that that switched, and that has to do with forgiveness. So I'm I'm in this low point. And, and of course, when I'm public, hey, right. how are you doing? Game oh, you, you wouldn't believe face. me. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was everything. Right? Unbelievable. Unbelievably good or unbelievably bad. Yeah, either yeah. way, you won't believe me. And so I'm in this low low place, and someone I don't know. And this is just just looking back again how God moves. Yeah. So someone I don't know buys me a ticket to this three day event, and it's called the Landmark Forum. Mm. I'm sure some yeah, people have heard of it. Heard yep. of it. Mm -hmm. And so. I go there. I'm like, all right. Hopefully, this will help me make some money because right. that's 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 my number one need. And I go there, and I realize that repair relationship with dad is on a to do list with no priority. Mm. And things that have a to do list with no priority, you lose the chance. Uh, about how old are you at this point? So I'm not good with that, but that was 2009. Okay. So I'm 45 now. So whatever that equates to. Yeah, okay. 30, 14 years ago. 29. 10 years. Something 14. Like yeah. Ish. Okay. So 31. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so on day two, and I hadn't talked to him in 13 years, and I had every reason not to. Right. I had full justification. But I asked myself this question. If I, and I, and at the time, my kids, I have two boys at, back then. Now I have four kids total. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they were nine and 10. And I asked myself, if he, if he died, would I regret not trying to repair it? And the answer was yes, I, mm. I would. And Good so on, on day two, of that event, I reach out to him and I said, hey, we haven't talked in 13 years. I'd love for you to meet your grandsons. Like I'd, I'd like to have some kind of relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so I, I go up to Indiana and he meets his grandsons for the first time. And we never do grow into this amazing go play ball, yeah. father son yeah. scenario, but something in me changed and, and I came home and it was one week later that I found that company that I became the number one earner of. Wow. And, and I really, I know, I know for a fact that when I release resentment, anger, whatever, whatever that was, it gave me different options. All of a sudden, I saw the world a little differently. And it's not like he gave me any kind of money advice or anything right. like that. But that's, that was one of those moments that, that really stands out of changing my life. Now... How, how did how did he re receive the the act of forgiveness, or was it more about the act of forgiveness and it was releasing something out of you? It's an interesting question. I, I 
we never we never did grow super close or, or anything. I don't know, man. It's still kind of a mystery. I, I feel like it was more for me, like for me to get rid of some stuff. But what's really what my favorite part of that story is about a year later, I had been asked to to speak in Myrtle Beach. And this guy, Kenneth, had asked me to speak. And this is the first time, at least I can recall, that looking back, God nudged me. Hmm. Okay, So I'm at this event, and I just finished an opportunity meeting. I'm about to go to do a training, and I get this just nudge, talk about your dad. Wow. And I'd, I'd never talked about my dad. Hmm. And so the question I sometimes wonder is, why did I listen? Because I wasn't Christian. I didn't right. grow up in the church. Like, like why why did I listen to that? Was that me thinking <laughs> it was my own wisdom? Like, where did it come from? Right. And so that day, I, I told that story that I just shared with mm-hmm. you. And basically the point I was trying to make is, hey, when you forgive, things get released from you yes. and, and new things open up. Yes. Well, I finish, and Kenneth, the guy that booked me, comes walking down the aisle, tear. He's he's shaking, tears wow. are rolling down his face. I'm like, wow, man, that you know that hit you hard. And he said, I can't believe you just shared that. Mm. I haven't seen. This is what he says. He hadn't seen his dad in 17 years. Wow. And the next day, he was flying out for his funeral. Good for him. Oh. He's like, I haven't talked to my dad in 17 years. Tomorrow I fly out for his oh funeral. My God. And I'm like, whoa. And so like at first. Uh, like my normal reaction back then was to beat myself up. Like I was on a webinar with him a week ago. I, what if I shared it? Should have said it sooner. And then I realized that I was meant to experience that because up till that point, I had never been vulnerable with anyone. Hmm. Like literally anyone. Wow. I was always the showboat. I right. was like, look at what I've done. But yeah. I, I didn't share about foreclosure. I didn't share about abuse. I only talked about my successes. And, yeah. and, and so he changed me. Now, since that 2010, maybe 11, I've shared that thousands of times. Mm-hmm. I have hundreds of letters, yep. hundreds of messages of people that heard the message, repaired the relationship with their mom, dad, sister, brother, son, daughter, and three in particular that they heard my message, they reached out to their fathers, they were all fathers, mm-hmm. and shortly thereafter, their fathers died. Wow. So they they like they like literally had to hear my in that window of time, yeah. and and it's just I know why God nudged me to to do that because that was a very transforming part of my life. That's it's amazing that you that you listen that yeah. you listen to it then, yeah. or that you continue to listen to it because uh, I think a lot a lot of times people don't realize some of the most dangerous place you can be is inside the four walls of your home. Yeah, uh, and good for you for having the courage um, to to share a, a vulnerable story yeah. or share a story because. You know that compassion that wherever that comes from for you, that's that's a compassion for human beings. Of yeah. people learn through stories, and people have similar experiences. And some one person's willingness to share something makes it okay for someone else right. to to live with their lack of self worth or whatever whatever it is. And that's right. There's a lot of things you can do from that. Getting in, go going into network marketing. You said from from that landmark forum, the act of forgiveness, a year later. You become the number one earner in a network marketing company. I assume you didn't have network marketing experience before them. You were doing other things or may have been introduced to it or whatever. I but, had, yeah. But this I was, dabbled. But this yeah. was a time that you did something. What was what 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 was that year like for you going from nothing to or just starting to becoming number one in a company? What 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 were you honoring about yourself? What did you learn about network marketing that maybe you didn't understand before? That you think other people, if they knew it, yeah, could be better at it. Um, I mean, you know what my my head was just I was just hungry, man. Mm. I was just so hungry, and I had I had been so distraught and depressed and uh, small for like a year, and I was just I was just so hungry, man. I was so on fire. I I created a psychological trigger that any time I thought about how bad my life had been. I had to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. I had to prospect somebody. And and so, like, I never knew. I didn't know when I won the first trip. I didn't know when I hit the top rank. I didn't know. I was just like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah? Okay, great. And I was just, like, so Machine mode, huh? focused <laughs> of just every minute I have to pour into. So I know 
I know what hard work looks like. Mm-hmm. And like I'd read a book called Go For No and I was getting, I had to get 20 no's a day, every mm-hmm. day before my head hit the pillow. Like I, I could not go to sleep unless I'd had 20 no's. And that may mean 50 reach outs, that may mean 100 reach outs. And I just, I was just hungry, man. And it was a beautiful time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because one day I'm in foreclosure, I'm a million dollars in debt, I'm dodging bill collectors, i depressed, I had been divorced, engaged, disengaged. <laughs> and, and then literally the next day, none of that mattered. None of it mattered. None of it had changed, but none of it mattered. Interesting. And what what I find is most people they they think that well if well if only my circumstance would change. No, right. no, no. It's you. You have to change. Right. Right. So your your personality creates your personal reality, hmm. and it's how you think, act, and feel. Well, my personal reality had not changed, but my personality did, right. which then changed my personal reality. Hmm. And people need to learn that that you can you can be in the mud. You can be in the and the toughness, and you can change your attitude about it. You can change your focus. I stopped opening my mail because I'm like, I can't pay it anyway. <laughs> like, what's the point, right? I stopped being depressed. I stopped being sad, and I just rolled it into work and eventually worked all that stuff out. I paid off different things. Some Sometimes years later, right. I paid off bills. Right. And I figured, you know what? I'm going I'm to figure it out later. Right. Well, did you have a mentor around you at that time, or was it something you were reading or just, just an internal fortitude that I'm in this, I'm in this spot. So what, yeah. what do I have to lose? I, it, being, being hungry can be mean different things to different people. And I know you, you're wired a certain way, but what, what, what or who around you? Because at the, at this point, if nothing is working for you, obviously the people that are around you probably by this point, maybe know nothing's working for you. And so sometimes when people in network marketing, they're like, ah, oh, I got to go to my friends and family, but my friends and family know that I'm going through right. the worst moment in my time, but you still did it. Yeah. Was anyone helping you or wh- where, what, what really switched to inside of you is the same thing as when you're 18, you heard the guy talking at Winn-Dixie or yeah. just, the, just the switch goes off. No one knew. I kept up the facade. Oh, okay. I was, I was, I was the number one earner still in the house that's in foreclosure. And so I'm just waiting, like, when do I got to leave this place? <laughs> right. And I'd, I'd already reached number one earner status and it. couldn't, it didn't make sense mathematically to catch it up. So I'm just like, whatever. And, and so people didn't know. Mm. And I think one of the first people to find out and not by my design was my mom. And she was over at the house and she's like, Hey, there's a guy here and he's serving papers. I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> and like, I just felt like I'd let her down so much oh. when she'd, she's been through a lot. And and so I, I didn't tell anybody. Everyone thought everything was, at least on the surface. Right. Now, maybe they talked when I'm not around and figured things out. I don't know. But right. at least on the surface, everyone thought Ray was doing pretty good. Right. And go from being top in a company. When, when did you make the transition out of a, a company to teaching people in the industry yeah. at large? What, 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 when did that shift happen? And is it the, the calling that you knew that I wanted to teach people? how to do something or what made you do that? Yeah. So it was like pretty early on because I was, I was one of the first people to do social media and network marketing. Okay. And so like I got all kinds of hate. People mm-hmm. are like, that doesn't work. <laughs> I remember a guy came up to me at a convention and he says, Hey, I hear you recruit a lot of people on Facebook. And this was 2009. Wow. Right. Yeah. He says, hey, I hear you recruit a lot of people on Facebook. I said, yeah, I thought he was complimenting right. me. And he goes, well, I prefer duplication. <laughs> and he turns around and walks away. I'm like, all right. Yeah. See, he doesn't understand right. how I'm wired, man. Like yeah. that's a haterade's my gatorade. That's right. So like like I, I just yeah, I'm gonna double it. up. And and I remember seven months later, I was a number one nerd and I found him in the crowd. I was a little that's I was right. that guy. The like, trophy up like, shines in his eye. Yeah. And and so because it was a really interesting scenario, I don't know, I'm not sure, but I don't know that the scenario has really existed much. Um, sense is I was the number one earner, but I was being hired by a lot of companies to speak on their stage because they were so hungry. Some of them were so hungry about learning social media. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Hey, how are you doing this? Like, teach us Facebook, teach us recruiting on social media. And you had some of the more traditional companies that I'd be the last person they would hire until COVID happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I just had all these companies are hiring me and all these companies like, Hey, why don't you create a course for us and we'll sell it and we'll give you a cut. And so I was doing these different deals and stuff, not with other network marketing companies, but with training companies right. and things like that. And 
in 2013, the company that I was the number one earner of, there was some health issues with one of the owner's wives, and they kind of decided, you know what, we need to like slow it down, and we'd like to sell the business to this mm. other company. So in 2013, they merged into another company, and I run with them for a few years, but I'm, I, I feel like I'm not doing anything 100%. Like okay. I have training, speaking, and stuff over here. I got my network marketing team over here, and I don't feel like I'm doing either of them that great. Right. And so in 2016, I'm like, you know what? I, I feel like I can make a bigger difference here. I feel like my team's in good hands right. over here. So I sold my organization, still friends with all those guys, and, and focus. So it was 2016 that I decided to, to focus on coaching and training. And in that process, obviously, coach trained thousands of yeah. people, very beginning people, high income, top of the class people. What sure. is What do you see as like a difference between someone that doesn't really have much success and someone that does have success? What is, what is the, a couple of things that are the difference between, sure. between those two? One, consistency is the biggest, I would say, is, and I've realized, like, one of the core things in teaching that I've learned is I used to be very one-dimensional and say, here's what to do, do this, 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 this. Right. And, and what I've learned is it's, for most people, it's more important to tell them why they won't do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> here's why you won't do it. You're right. And so if, if you're an entrepreneur and you struggle with consistency, guarantee you what the reason is. Now, the, the actual reason varies, but the, 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 the underlying reason is always the same. If you struggle with consistency, it's because you made the wrong conclusions based on observations to success as a kid. Mm. So you made observations as a kid, and you drew the wrong conclusions. Interesting. So let me give you some examples. So if you, I've seen this a lot, if you had uh, parents that made a bunch of money and lost it, you may have concluded very likely that you said, well, if you make a bunch of money, you're just going to lose it. Right. So at some point, you'll stop being consistent. Mm. Right. It's kind of like the guy that your dad fell off a mountain and killed himself, so you just won't climb mountains. Right. Right? right. Now now the one person will climb every mountain, and then right. some will just avoid mountains. Right. If you had successful parents, but they ignored you, you will sabotage success because you don't want your kids to feel the way you did. Hmm. Uh, people that struggle with recognition, they had siblings, and they were usually the good one. So the good sibling always heard, why can't you be more like your sister? Hmm. And they created this association in their brain as a kid that when I get edified, someone else gets harmed, and wow. I don't like that. Interesting. And so they'll literally sabotage being up on stage. They'll sabotage recognition. Mm. They'll fly under the radar, under their potential. And so 100% of the time, anyone I've ever coached that struggles with consistency, with a few questions, I can kind of figure out, ah, that's your problem. And I'll, probably one of my wildest examples, I was actually on Clubhouse. And I'm just like, <laughs> I used to do this, and I'd be like, open coaching, just hop on in. Yeah. And so this girl hops in, and I can't see her. It's Clubhouse, right. right? And she says, she tells me her story. She would go into a company, crush it, break records, amazing, whatever. Then she would figure out these guys aren't ethical or whatever, and she'd get out of there, start another adventure mm -hmm. and crush it there, figure out something's wrong, crush it there, crush it there. <laughs> so I know with a pattern like that, right. guaranteed something from her childhood, guaranteed. And so... I just I just asked, well, what was what was your relationship like with your parents? And she's like, oh my god, they're amazing. They're still together today, <laughs> and they're just perfect. Never hit me, never abused me, never nothing. I know there's something missing mm -hmm. there, and our brain will have us not remember the things that harmed us because what happens is we made an observation, a conclusion was made, a stronghold was built, and then your body will spend time defending it right. so that you don't figure it out because it's trying to keep you safe. Right. It's not trying to keep you small. It's trying to keep you safe. Protect you, yeah. And if you think that there's danger in success, then it will, it will, right. you won't know why, but you just won't be mm. consistent, right? And this is also true in, uh, unfortunately, women who were sexually abused young, a lot of times they'll sabotage their body mm. so they just can't lose weight. Right. They won't be able to right. because there's a part of them that said, when I was cute and skinny, yeah, I got, yeah, I got something abused. Happened. Right. So with her, 
I can just tell she's a little bit of a rebellious, rebellious kind of soul. And so I said, kind of, it's kind of a trick, but I said, well, it's okay if you don't remember. <laughs> and so she goes, <gasps> how dare you? And this is clubhouse. I don't know if she just had an accident. Like, I don't hear it. Hello. Hello. Are you there? Are you okay? And she said, I just remember catching my mom cheating on my dad. Wow. And I'm like, got it. That makes a lot of sense. She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, as soon as you feel really good about something, the shoe's about to drop. So you vowed as a little girl, never again will I be surprised. So you vow that you would be in control the rest of your life. And that's exactly what you're doing. Wow. But you're not in control. Your program's in control. Mm. So every time something started going good and they started clapping for her and saying, you're awesome. Right. That's when she knew Danger. something wrong was about to happen. So she would get out of there. She would find something Amazing. wrong. She would justify it logically. And since then, to my knowledge, she's been in the same company rock and rolling ever since. Wow. Because once you become aware of that, which I think is part of our job, there's a lot of things that I now see as God's job, but there are things that are our job. Correct. And that an awareness is one of them for you because the lesson is repeated until it's learned. Correct. And he, he loves you so much that he is not going to allow you to stay the same. So he's going to keep hammering that lesson until you get it. Yes. And so we got to be aware and say, oh, Oh, that's the lesson. Oh, my goodness. And then we can grow to that next yeah. level. Awareness unlocks the door to, to access. Yeah. 100%. Amen. Amen. It's amazing. You you said up to just just recently, you've grown into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so much so you even uh, did an event recently called Faith Over Fear. T yeah. Tell me about that that moment in time. When did it happen? How long ago was it? Yeah. So it was uh, a year ago last month. Uh, didn't grow up in the church, didn't know one verse. I'd seen Tim Tebow with the John 3.16, <laughs> didn't know what it meant. Right. And even when I looked it up, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. What is this? Yeah. What does that mean? And so in 2019, I hit a lot of goals. I'd spoken on pretty much every major stage, Grant Cardone's, Russell Brunson's, Eric's, like a lot of great stages, mm -hmm. share the stage with amazing people, Inc. 5000 Company, best-selling book, et cetera. But something was missing. And so I went on a very different journey because I still had flaws, like major ones. My wife is a social butterfly. Like if there was a cocktail party every night, she it would be heaven. <laughs> right. And I was always like, do we have to go to that? Hey, can we leave? I was always the one wanting to leave early right. or not go at all. I had, I, I had massive social anxiety. Now, if you're asking me about business, no problem. Mm -hmm. You want me to speak on a stage, 27,000 people? No problem. But you want to just chit chat? Small talk, yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I, I don't feel good. I feel you. And um, and I and I didn't know what, what causes that, right? So I had trust issues, betrayal issues. I had social anxiety. And so I just started a very different race. I went from, okay, let me learn marketing strategies and tactics and branding and all this stuff to what the heck's wrong with me? Wow. And so I do hypnosis, I do all kinds of different therapy. I do two years of one to three hours a day of meditation. Wow. And like I tamed the body, man. Like I went from not being able to sit still for five minutes to four hour meditations. Wow, it's amazing. And so like it was, wow. that's just the way he wired me. Wow. Is all in, man. <laughs> right. and, and so, and I, and I won't say those things didn't help. A lot of them did. Like I calm my mind, I tame the body. I, wow, I, I'm more powerful than I thought. And But there's still something missing. And so a year ago, my wife, she had just spoken in Nashville. And she came home and she said, hey, you, you need to talk to this guy. I met this guy. You need to talk to this guy. I'm like, okay. And so I get on and he lives in Miami. We get on a, a Zoom call. And first words out of his mouth is, I see a big vision for you and God. And I'm like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what are you, what are you selling me, preacher right. man? Yeah. Like, I'm like, what? Where's the oil? And and so we talk for like an hour, maybe 90 minutes, and nothing he says make any makes any sense at all. Interesting. But it feels true, mm. and I'm bothered by this. I'm like, <laughs> this is strange. And so I don't know what to do with it. So I'm like, I don't know. The next night, my wife and I we go to a networking event in Naples, and I I walk up the stairs. And I see a guy that I'd met before, but I, I didn't remember what he did. I didn't remember his name. And he sees me, and he looks at me, and he locks eyes with me, and goes, "I see a big vision for you and God." Get out of here! And I'm like, "Okay, they don't know each other. They're right. in different cities. Like this is officially weird." Yeah. And he's a a pastor. He's a former corrections officer, six foot four. 
he grabs me, he starts praying over me. And this is in the middle of this networking wow. function. I know all, all kinds of people. Uh, how, how are you how are you feeling internally? So You're already having social anxiety. I mean, people, people are walking this way, this way, this. Right. We're literally in the middle of this big room, hundreds of people, and I'm crying. He says, you're going to face a fork in the road and you got to choose God. And, wow. and I don't I don't know what is <laughs> happening, but I'm crying, I'm weeping, and and I come out of it. And I expect like the crowd to be like, what is wrong, man? Just cut right. this guy off, right. man. He's been drinking too much. <laughs> I come out of it, no one noticed anything. Wow. Now that's literally impossible, right? God put a shield over us. We were in the middle. He's six foot four. Mm -hmm. We're standing up. He's praying over me. It's a very weird scene. There's people everywhere. No one, not one person said, you okay, bro? Like no one said anything. Interesting. And so I really don't know what to do at this point, right? right? And so I go home and I'm just like, man, what am I supposed to do with this? And finally, about two weeks later, I, I kind of dragged my feet on it. I have that original guy come over with a guy from church. And and I, my wife and I, we give our life to Christ. Wow. We don't. We still don't know anything. We don't know literally anything. And so nothing incredible happened. I didn't float in the air or yeah, anything yeah. like that. But the next morning I wake up, and if you do two hours of meditation a day for two years, you really get to know your body. And the next morning I wake up, and I, my feet hit the floor. I'm looking, at, I'm, looking, I'm looking at my hands, and I'm looking at the sunrise. I'm looking at the flowers outside. It's not the same body. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not the same. Like my eyes are like in 4D. I'm different. Like there's something different, right. and and I just had the overwhelming feeling of that. I just needed to pray, and and I don't know what to do. Right. And so I just get down and I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but hey, if you want me to shut the business down, I will. If you want me on the road with a robe, I will. Wow. You tell me, and I get go live. I'm like, oh. Now, I had spoken on stage for, even before network marketing, I'd spoken on stage for 16 years, and I had never said the word God, ever. Wow. I'd never, I'm not on stage. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm like, okay. And so I go live. It's an emotional, blubbering mess where I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to be obedient. And I just, that video gets 50,000 views the first day. Wow. I, I get over 1,000 messages. But what was the wildest part of that is I get over 200 messages from people that say, I've been woken up in the middle of the night to pray for you. Interesting. And none of them had ever told me. Like literally none of them had ever said, hey, man, I'm, I'm praying for you. Know, like none of them had ever told me. And, and so that started the journey. And mm. just the way he wired me, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just all in. And so I get multiple Bible mentors. I'm in the Word every day. I now do six days a week, six days a week walk in faith videos, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I'm just in love with that. And at first I thought maybe he wants me in ministry, um, but he's told me through now four different things that I'm to be in the marketplace and to help entrepreneurs and business owners with with faith because they're seeking things that they will not fulfill through achievement and money. Right. It's okay to have it. Right. Right. It's okay to have money. Just don't have money have you. Right. It's okay to have success. Don't have success have you. And a lot of people, they'll take something that's good and they'll make it the supreme good. It yes. becomes their North Star. It becomes right. their idol. Their God, yeah. Their God. Yes. And, and so it's to help people. And again, <clears throat> we're all the way back to help the person I used to be. It's just now... I can help a lot of people that have been searching, but they, they're not sure for what. And so in the absence of knowing what, they've been seeking success, money, achievement, et cetera, but that hasn't been fulfilling them. Right. And so you can have all those things, but you make God your priority and you make God first, all of a sudden everything becomes more meaningful and purposeful. That's an amazing testimony. I love that. I love... Again, one your your willingness to, to share, much like the the scenario with your dad, and your willingness to share that experience with people. You're doing it again. To a, I believe God has a, a big vision for you, mm -hmm. but He's a, a big calling on your life. And I think that the marketplace is an interesting place to be. And what I lo love about the the story, the, the more the testimony, is 200 people reaching out to you saying that yeah, yeah I, was, I was praying for you because it's. 
there's something about obedience. There's there, there's one mm. thing about awareness. There's another thing about access. There's something totally different about being obedient and being able to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus mm. and yeah. being o- obedient to that. Because I think that sometimes people think that it's not okay. I can't say that in business. Yeah. Or maybe the marketplace isn't a place for me to use the word God or Jesus yeah. or whatever. And um, what, what have you learned from being an entrepreneur successful in network marketing, successful in coaching other people, successful in all different kinds of businesses, all different sure. kinds of industries. You're involved in a lot of other things. But what 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 is it that that you're learning to be okay with of having the courage of one, laying everything down at the feet of Jesus, but mm-hmm. two, also sharing that or educating other people, giving them a level of awareness that maybe they have or maybe they're afraid of or where where do you see the fear for some entrepreneurs mm. or people in business to be like a closet Christian sure. in business and being okay with that? Yeah. I mean, that that's a, a huge topic. And there's a lot of people that like, oh, you know, my, my, my faith is separate from my business and that's not how God wants it. Right. God doesn't want that. And, and so, and let me, clarify that so like you have so the our our keynote speaker of our faith over fear event which we had ran an annual event for 10 years changed the name of it rebranded it to faith over fear and we had john maxwell as the keynote speaker and so john if you know him uh, he was a pastor for 25 years christian but if you don't really know him he leads secular right Mm -hmm. he he teaches leadership you can learn so much from him whether you're of the faith or not. And so I'm not I'm not suggesting that everyone is supposed to lead with faith, but if you are of faith and you have no plan for anyone for your business to ever lead anyone to Christ, then I don't think that's the way. Right. And and so I found that there's a couple things. Number 1, some people have legitimately been church hurt and they were judged or shamed by someone in the church. They were made to feel bad or less than, which is not biblical. Right. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what will lift others up. Right. Right. And first first Peter 3.15 says, when someone wonders the source of your hope, be respond with gentleness and respect. Mm. Right. So we are to be kind, right? right? We're not we're not to wag our fingers or shame That's or right. judge others or, or anything like that. But people experience that, they don't feel good. So they then associate that, well, if I mention it at all, then I'm going to make other people feel like I did, and I don't want that. And that doesn't have to be the case. Right. right? You can do it in a kind way. You can do it in a loving way. And number two is just having pray on it, right? Because you need to believe that Holy Spirit works right. and moves and is real. And so this now happens, I don't want to say every day, but almost, where I get nudged to pray for someone, mm. <clears throat> stranger. And so I'll just walk up to him, and I'm like, hey. And I did it three times today already. But like the lady sitting next to me, I get nudged, pray with her. I'm like, is there anything I can pray for you about? All right? And usually it's, it's, it's awesome when I ask people that because a lot of times you'll get a surprising response. Yes. Most of the time it's absolutely. It's like they were waiting <laughs> right. for me to ask. Yeah. It's like, how did you even know? <laughs> I knew you'd um, be sitting next yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so you do need to have some, some trust and faith in God. Is that If you're being nudged to talk about it, be obedient, and the right. more obedient. I've I've just learned this. The more obedient I am, the more instructions I get. Mm. Last week, I I prayed for what is Father, what is your will for me in the business marketplace, mm. and am I on the right track? Am I where you want me? Like, because I knew he wanted me in the marketplace, not in ministry, because he's uh, there's been a few signs to that, and he gave me a new tagline. He gave me a tagline I would not have come up with on my own. And, and after I heard it, I, I thought about it. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. But like the more that I operate under that mantle, I'm like, man, this is perfect. Mm. This is so much better than yes. I would have come up with. <laughs> and so trust that, right? Like, so you may have been church hurt. Well, so was Jesus. Yeah. A lot of people have been, they were hurt by their biological father and they project that under their heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And that was me. Right. So I thought God was mean, uncaring. I wasn't important. He'd never be proud of me. I wasn't enough. And I realized that, wait a minute, that's how I feel about my, my real dad, <laughs> right? My, my biological right. dad. 
and they're not the same. Right. right? He loves you perfectly. Right. He loves you so much that he won't allow you to stay the same. And and he is the giver of perfect gifts, right? And and so not everyone's called to lead with faith, but if you're just running your business over here and your faith is over here and you have no plan right. to connect the two, that's a big mistake. That's right. You look at someone like John Maxwell, as of I believe it was August, he's brought over one million entrepreneurs to Christ. Wow. One million. Wow. But see, he he's not leading with Jesus. Right. He's leading with, let me earn the right to tell you about my faith. Right. And so some people are called that way. I'm I'm called to to be more faith forward, but mm-hmm. still in the marketplace. Right. And some people it may be totally different. Right. But if you don't have a plan, then I would question are you really trying to draw closer to God? Right. And I would question that. Over the past year, what what have you grown to love most about about your heavenly father? Mm. Um, just how he works. Man, just how he works. So I'll give you two two scenarios. So I was leaving a John Maxwell conference in, in Orlando and I was driving down the interstate and I just kind of out of nowhere get hungry. I'm like, all right, I'll stop and get food. Right. And I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pull off on this on this exit and I'm at this traffic light and I see Chick-fil-A and I see this seafood restaurant. And it's lunchtime. I'm by myself. I'll, I'll probably just do drive through right. and get home mm-hmm. quick. But I just I feel I don't I didn't at that point, I don't know, I guess I just become very trusting. I feel nudged to go to the seafood restaurant. So I go there. And I remember I sit down, I'm like, why am I, why am I this sit down <laughs> restaurant by myself? Like this is strange. And I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, I don't even want anything on here. Like, whatever. And so I, I order something and then I I'll, sometimes I forget, but I'm I'm usually pretty good at asking the waiter or waitress, hey, can I pray? Can I pray right. for you? Right? And I usually pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And so I I ask her. I said, hey, is, I usually pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And she goes, pray for me. And she looks up and she starts doing this real quick. Mm. And she starts. She just instant starts right. tearing up. I'm like, whoa. And she goes, man, I, I can't believe you just asked me that. My son died 60 days ago. Holy cow. And I'm like, whoa. And so I get up and I hug her and and all the waitresses I I get her, her and by the way her name's Jessica mm-hmm. name my wife's name and so I pray with her and, and everything and then I just realize God made me hungry to yeah. pull off on that exit to go to that restaurant to get that waitress pray for her son. to pray for her mm-hmm. and so I leave her a really nice tip and I and I leave her a note and I said. Hey, God loves you. Your son's in a in a better place, and I know this won't bring back your son, but I, I hope it helps. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I get out of there because I I don't like people seeing it when you do <laughs> right. something like that. Yeah. It's weird. And and I pull around the corner. And I just bawl. I'm mm-hmm. like, God, you're so good, man. Mm-hmm. You're so good. You allowed me to experience that because that was for me. Right. Like that felt it, it felt amazing for me to go and tell her. The second time was we're in. Or I I have a lot of these stories, but yeah, I'll just awesome. share two. So. We, I was nudged to go on this uh, Holy Land tour in Israel, and this was a month ago, a month and a half ago, mm. so you might know where yeah. I'm going here. And so halfway throughout the trip, war, broke out. war breaks out. So we're, we're, we're literally there, day five of wow. the 10-day trip. The music festival gets raided. Mm-hmm. Hamas is killing people door-to-door and everything. And even that, that night... We were staying on the Sea of Galilee, and we we're looking, and we we saw like these lights in the sky and stuff, and we saw paragliders, and we're like, "That's weird. strange. <laughs> That's weird." And then the next day, we're with our group, and I start seeing everyone looking at their phones, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And um, you know, and that's when the trip made a very different turn. And so we head to Jerusalem. We we get there. We had to go into the bomb shelter three times. Holy cow! Like there's there's serious stuff going oh. on. And my wife is just losing it, man. Like, I've never seen her like that before. She's in fight or flight for mm-hmm. four days straight. Like, doesn't do her makeup, doesn't do her hair. She's, she's just, like, rough shape. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I prayed, and I'm like, God, are we going to be okay? And I just I felt his presence so strong. I'm just I'm trembling. I'm shaking. I'm weeping. And, and she's like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it was just it was just such an honoring of... I'm I'm just this 
I'm just this dude right. on the planet and that you would visit me to such a high degree. Right. And he told me, you're going to be fine. Stick with the group. You're going to get out. It's going to be fine. Amazing. And so I'm, I'm trying to convey that to her. She's in fight or flight. She yeah. didn't listen to any yeah, of this. Like, <laughs> and so it was very, it was very stressful. So the whole time I'm praying for her faith. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it was just so, it was just so intense, man. So the, the war didn't bother me at all. Interesting. Because God had told me we're going right. to be okay. So we're going to be okay. Right. And, but it, like the war between me and her of me trying to manage, like she's not listening to right. me. I'm so positive that I'm hearing from God and I'm telling her. And, and so I snap at her once at the hotel. I, I, mean, I was trying to be the rock, and I just like, ah. <laughs> and and then we we get to the airport. So she books four different flights. They all get canceled. <laughs> I told her, I'm yeah. like, we're not supposed to do this. Right. And she'd book it. It'd get canceled, get canceled, get canceled, yeah. get canceled. And so the day we make it to the airport, they had launched 4,000 rockets at the airport. Dang. And the Iron Dome is pretty efficient. It's so still, it, man. It's it, a lot of rockets. Yeah, it, it taking them all out, but it's six hours. Like it's Exodus, man. Like the person in front of us had 24 suitcases. Dang, like, like they're, they're out, just like out. getting the heck out. And it was six hours just to drop your bags off. Now that's not security. Oof. Just drop your bags off. So people were abandoning their bags because they sure. were so worried about lo- just missing themselves. their flights. Yeah. And so we're like, just think about this, right? Yeah. War, rockets, abandoned suitcases everywhere. And <laughs> Our guide told us, he goes, hey, if you report that bag, they'll shut down the airport. You won't get out. We're like, okay, we're going to roll the dice. And, uh, and so we, you know, we make it through there. We, we get to the terminal. Our flight was delayed three hours, so it's three in the morning. Okay, mm-hmm. So we're, <clears throat> we're all there, and we're the group of 53 that was talked about on Fox News and oh, MSNBC, and we're, we had, there was a lot of publicity about it. And, and so we get to the airport, it's 3 a.m. We're all just like, oh, just beat. And all of a sudden, pop, 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 pop. And we're all like, oh. <laughs> Some parent had given their kids these balloons. Oh, and my God. And these kids are popping <laughs> these balloons. The plane was under attack. <laughs> right? We just wanted to kill these little kids. But we get on the plane. And, and, I, and I, I, we're safe. We're good to go. And we're on El Al, which every pilot is a fighter pilot. Yeah. They have missiles on the planes really yeah holy cow yeah and they Dang. come they come prepare and they israelis pride themselves on you're not going to stop us right we're getting Which out. might be good might be bad <laughs> right. i don't know and so we're on the plane we're taking off and i and i i post on social media we're out of here yeah and my wife blows up at me she goes why'd you post that like there's a hamas <laughs> right. just yeah, out right. there with a rocket launcher there's, Watching Ray there's like, Ray there and Jess. boom <laughs> right? got him on our sights and she goes why did you do that you need to delete that right away and I just snapped. I just snapped. And and so we're in first class. She's sitting in front of me. I'm behind her. And she turns around. We're texting each other. <laughs> and so we're texting each other. And and I seriously, I have the thought, are we even going to stay together? Like, seriously, it's, it's been four or five days of, of just rough. Right. Just rough fight. Just rough, man. And so... As soon as I think, are we even going to stay together? God shows me. He shows me the two places where I snapped and what they meant to me and what was in my heart that I needed to work on. Interesting. And that was my need to feel heard because I wasn't being heard. And then my need for control. Mm. When she told me to take that down, that, that, that I, I need to be in control right. just, just snapped. And this whole time I'd been praying for her faith. Her faith needs to be better, but he is, he had been working on me the right. whole time. And so I apologized to her. Our relationship is better than it's ever been. And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that trip. He revealed to me things that he could only in the way he could do. Mm. Like I didn't see it coming. And and just and he just said, Look, look what I've been showing you. And I'm like, dang. And I'm like, dang. And I just cry. I just cried, and I know she was crying. Yeah. And so, like, it's just—it's just incredible. That, that, That's—I I admire your again w- willingness to to share the story, but all, yeah. but also your ability to self-reflect and really t- take to heart what what God is showing you, yeah. not what not what you think you're seeing, yeah, but what God is revealing. Two totally different things, and I, I think it's phenomenal. 
the walk that you're on, phenomenal for your obedience, phenomenal for everything that you're doing, your willingness to share. I, I have zero doubt you're going to impact millions and millions of mm -hmm. people. And I think that when you look at you, the thing that you said about John Maxwell, who brought over a thousand entrepreneurs to a million, a million yeah. entrepreneurs. It reminded me of when you when you said that, Rick, I was listening to a, this was many, many years ago, I was listening to Rick Warren, yeah. and he asked a question. I was actually, I remember I was painting my son's bedroom, mm. but I was listening to Rick Warren as I'm painting my son's bedroom. But Rick Warren asked a question, I don't even remember where it was, but he said, how many people are going to go to heaven because of you? Mm. Like It stopped me like dead in my tracks. Like, mm. like what is my real intent for education? Mm. What is my real intent for empowering? Yeah, Am I really leading people to what is the absolute most important thing yeah. that what you do echoes against the backdrop of all of eternity. And so it's an honor and a privilege to have yeah. you here today. You've got an amazing first part of your story. I think the second half of your life is going to be epic. Yeah. I really do. I think I'm it's going to be, I think that you should be <laughs> continue doing what you're doing. Where, where's the best place for people to, to find you or get more from you? I do six days a week of walk in faith videos where I take scripture and apply it to leadership or mindset. Those are kind of my two go-tos. So my YouTube channel is higdengroup.com forward slash channel. And uh, I'm on all the all the major social medias. Awesome. So Ray Higdon. Very good. Before you go, you yeah. do us the honor of Ooh. placing a sticker. Nice. Your name. So it's your, your choice of your autograph and or anything else you want to put on that message because it'll Pick your spot. Pick any spot on the table. Oh, boy. Man, the choices here. <laughs> Perfect. Make there God go. first. Make Choose first. where you want to go. Oh, okay. Find your spot. You can put it anywhere. Mm. These seem laminated. Like, oh, they are on there. <laughs> they are on there. I thought yep. you like, like, it, no, nah, maybe it, once it we get to like a spot there's... when we're, we'll you know put what? some gonna, laminate. I'm going to remind your next speaker awesome. to be right. Here. That's awesome. <laughs> Make God first. Ray Higdon, thank you for being here. Always ride the wave of life and always play big.